When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. For many years now, the norm in the workplace has been a five-day work week. One of the things that we've seen in recent years is all over the Western world, by the way, not just in the United States, but is an increased push for a four-day work week. Some of these four-day work week plans involve working slightly longer hours, but many of them don't. Many of them say basically just cutting off that fifth day of work. And some people point to studies or anecdotal examples which say that the four-day work week is just as productive, if not more so, than the five-day work week. So... How is this working out in places that have tried it? Well, one of the most widespread experiments with this has been done in the United Kingdom, the good old UK. And most of the UK companies that took part in the world's biggest ever four-day working week trial have made the policy permanent, permanent. Of the 61 organizations that took part in a six-month UK pilot in 2022, 54 of them, that's 89%, are still operating the policy a year later, and 31 of them have made the change permanent. More than half of project managers and CEOs said a four-day week in which staff worked 100% of their output in 80% of their time had a positive impact on their organization, according to the report. For 82%, this included positive effects on staff well-being. 50% found it reduced staff turnover, while 32% said it improved job recruitment. Nearly half said working and productivity improved. I'm not sure how I feel about this, honestly. And obviously, I want, if I was running a business, I'd want the most productive workplace uh, possible, One of the things that I am disturbed by in the United States is we're one of the few Western countries that doesn't have some sort of mandated vacation. And even uh, the people and, you know, speaking for myself, this is this is certainly the case. Even the people that do have vacation time that they're entitled to 
don't end up using it. And there's a bunch of reasons why you don't end up using it. Sometimes it can be just a little bit of a hassle to go on vacation. You have to prepare so much. Obviously, radio is different than the rest of the world. But in this aspect, I think it's similar. You have to prepare so much to go away that sometimes it's not worth the effort to, um, even if you do a staycation, it's not worth the effort of taking off. You have to you know, do so much repair work when you come back that sometimes you feel like it's not worth it. Otherwise, and this this is certainly true in competitive industries, you feel like by taking a vacation, you're putting yourself at a little bit of a disadvantage. Maybe someone else in your workplace, maybe someone else at another workplace gets a leg up because they're working while you're sitting around getting a suntan somewhere. But uh, let's just talk not about vacation, but about the four-day work week. So they say, these companies that are analyzed in this report that there was fewer staff, less staff turnover, positive effects on staff well-being. And the report's author, Juliette Shore, who's a professor of sociology at Boston College, said the results showed real and long-lasting effects. Physical and mental health and work-life balances are significantly better than at six months. Burnout and life satisfaction improvements held steady. So maybe this isn't one of those things where it's not a one-sized-fits-all approach. Maybe some industries, some workplaces would do very well with a four-day work week, and maybe others wouldn't, right? But I'm curious if you think this is a trend that is going to continue to grow, because I think it is. And I'm curious what effect you think this will have on productivity. 800-848-9222, Dr. Mark Downs is chief executive of the Royal Society of Biology. He had some positive things to say on the subject of a four-day work week. We see there's actually been a decline in the amount of sick days taken during the period of the trial. We were starting off sick leave around about the you know, five, um, four to five days perhaps per person per year. Um, on average, it's down to less than two at the moment. So I think it's a really substantial difference, actually. So I, I, I'll interpret because I know a lot of you don't speak English. You may only speak American. He's saying there's fewer people taking sick days. I'm not at all surprised by that because people come to work, they work themselves ragged, just the commuting alone can really take a toll on you. You get fatigued, sometimes you get stressed out, and what happens when you're fatigued and you're stressed out and you're in the workplace with all these other people that are coughing and sneezing? These opportunistic infections take hold of you. Whereas if you're a little bit more mellowed out, you got that three-day weekend every week, Maybe you're not going to get as sick. So that was interesting. The fact that he's saying people are taking fewer sick days. Now, Jay Jay Richards, who's the co-founder of Imogen Insights, he's not ready to jump on board with a four-day work week. I think a four-day week sounds good in principle, but in practice, how many companies are going to be able to actually support employees' well-being if they're going from having a normal five-day week and then cramming that down into four days, we do a five-day week, but we work 10 till four. So we shorten the days. Um, and that means that the employees get to have that work-life harmony, but they're not actually shortening their week. And this experiment is going on all over the world. This month, the Scottish government launched a four-day working week trial 
for some public services. They're experimenting with this in Spain. They're experimenting with this in all sorts of different private businesses. Is this the future? Is the four-day work week the future? You know, this was one of the items that the UAW workers were asking for when they went out on strike. This was one of the few that they did not win in the recent strike. So as I understand it, they're still doing the five-day work week. But they were close. They could have, you know, they were very successful in that strike. And uh, I thought for a while that they might have gotten the four-day work week. They didn't. At least not now, but what does this hold for the future? There's a website. It's called 4dayweek.com, the number 4dayweek.com. And there's this group, 4-Day Week Global. And they are trying to make this a worldwide thing. They are trying to create a million new years of free time. And they're basically implementing consulting programs, pilot programs. They have a whole foundation That is geared towards one thing, transitioning workplaces to a four-day work week. And they say there's been a 36% increase in revenue over the previous year for companies that try this, a 42% decrease in employee resignations, a 68% reduction in burnout, 54% increase in workability, and 63% of businesses said they found it easier to attract talent. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Tony, with the understanding that radio is obviously a little bit different, what do you make of the idea of a four-day work week? I wouldn't knock it, you know, um, you know, 10 hours a day, you know, all three days after that. I'm with it. Well, so you're even saying you would like it working more hours. This four-day week global group, they're saying same amount of hours. Just four days instead of five. I'll take it. You'll take it. Uh, but well, would you take it if you had a business? Would you want to do it if you had a business? No. No. You think it would have a decline yeah, in productivity. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Matt Blaze, where do you come down? I actually did it at one point where I did do a four-day work week working 10 hours a day. No, we're not counting like when you just on Fridays just don't work that hard. That, that <laughs> still counts as working. Well, if we said that about you, Frank, it would be uh, two, three days out of the week. Yeah, please. Uh, I will hold my uh, my work ethic up to any talk show host in America. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I did it, and then I actually, I was the only one doing it, and it made me feel guilty because someone else had to pick up the slack of me not being there. Why were you on the only Friday. one doing it? Well, at the time, my, my boss, the owner, he was like, because I wanted a DJ, and he was like, oh, you really into that? He goes, well, how about we, you know, you can work. 10-hour days, four days a week. And I was like, okay. I jumped at it, and then I did it for a few months, and it did make me feel a little guilty, and then they were just like, yeah, it's kind of not fair to everybody else. And I understood it, so I didn't really care when I had it. See, I don't think that works, right? I I don't think it works to say, all right, only Matt Blaze gets to work (laughs) four days a week. Everyone else has to work five days. I think it's got to be something that everybody does or that that no one does. If it didn't, if it doesn't affect productivity – and it raises productivity, like studies suggest, then why not? Yeah, I just wonder if the people doing these studies are the people pushing this four-day work week for other reasons. You know, you see this a lot with polls, but you also see it with studies. If you know what result you want to get 
it's very easy to get there. It, the way you ask the question, the way you handle the research. You know, I think it was Harry S. Truman who used to say, "There's lies, damn lies, and statistics." I, I, I'm, I'd like, I'm curious. Now, look, uh, this is why I found this interesting, which is why I wanted to do the story. The fact that these businesses in the UK, so many of them are making this permanent, I think that is an indication that this is working for at least a lot of them. I'm skeptical when it comes to this uh, this idea, these groups that are pushing this are pointing out how the increase in productivity because, look, I understand that people are going to take fewer sick days, as that doctor mentioned. I uh, That makes sense to me. I get that. But to Tony's point, right? I mean, how do you t- go from a 40-hour work week to a 32-hour work week and then not have some decline in productivity. Again, maybe it depends on the industry. I can see, you know, my wife is a, a writer, uh, and I could see in her workplace it working because I think, you know, a lot of the time by the end of the week she just gets frustrated dealing with people, doing things. It's, it's a different element. Obviously, she's working from home, so she's got the frustrations of uh, being a, a wife and, and mother to deal with on top of the workplace. But I think she would get just as much done, honestly, if she worked four days versus five. And I think she'd be a lot happier. Not that she's unhappy. Don't misunderstand me. But I, um, when it comes to something like like radio, that doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if um, it would not be the same level of productivity if I was doing 16 hours a week of shows instead of 20. I mean, by definition, it's 20% less. So uh, maybe a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work, but I'm curious to see where this goes and where we go from here. Let me tell you where we are going from here. Um, Last year was a record year for casinos. Casinos did an incredible amount of business last year. Why? Apparently the people visiting these casinos have no concerns about the economy <clears throat> because there are no they have no concerns at all about not putting their money in the slot machine. Is it just a function of more and more casinos or is there something else going on here? We're going to talk with one of my favorite analysts of gambling, Michael Traeger, coming up in uh, in a little bit. We got, um, you know, we're on in Atlantic City, New Jersey, on Talk Radio 1400 WOND, one of the great radio stations in America. Oh, by the way, next week, we have to play for you the audio of Craig Calloway, this guy that's been arrested for voter fraud. He just spoke at this Liberty and Prosperity event. We have the video. Jesse Waters also sent a team to videotape it because I guess, I don't know if he played it, but I guess at Fox News they couldn't believe either that he was um, that, that, that he was openly talking about this ballot harvesting operation. And I think Liberty and Prosperity had him because they want Republicans to learn from Democrats that are doing this. So next week, not only am I going to play for you the audio of Craig Calloway, I'm going to have the head of Liberty and Prosperity on, who's a conservative, explaining why he had this fellow that's been indicted for voter fraud at his event. I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. I hope it is. Well, we'll see. But anyway, so we're on Atlantic City. We're on, on in Las Vegas on K-Dawn. 
We're on in Baltimore, where there's two great casinos. We're on WABC in New York, where there's all sorts of casinos within the sound of my voice. We're on in the Catskills, where there's a casino. There are casinos everywhere now. It used to be there were only two major hubs in America where you could go and gamble. Then they got the Indian casinos, then they got other things. Now they're everywhere. We're going to get into it with Michael Traeger in uh, just a little bit. 800-848-9222. JR is in Brooklyn. What do you make of this four-day work week, JR? So uh, the, the police department has a real funny schedule where you rotate your days backwards. It's very hard to explain, but if you really want to see where the four-day four work week attitude is at, offer your employee Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday off. Because are you looking for a three-day weekend or a four-day work week? Well, I'm not necessarily looking for, for either. So what you're saying is you wouldn't see the uptick in productivity if the day off was in the middle of the week. Correct. I literally, so many city employees are literally a walking, uh, you know, a uh, uh, walking result of it. Hey, good news, you're off on Wednesday and Thursday this week. So when... And you don't, it's... When you just see, want a three-day work weekend. When you see cops that have that schedule, that day off in the middle of the week, do, what's the effect on them? Well, it's, it's like you said, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. you, you can get all your shopping done. No one's online in front of you if you're off on Wednesday. You can get a haircut and go clothes shopping. It only takes you two hours instead of doing it on a Sunday where it takes you, you know, five hours. There are some benefits to it, but it's not... That doesn't really apply to a, let's say, a, a nine-to-five or a nine-to-five style uh, job. Well, hey, Jr. thank you. Um, there you go. So, I mean, I do wonder, you know, I, I don't know how many of these four-day workweek experiments are of the three-day weekend variety and how many have a day off in the middle of the week. That would be interesting to learn. I don't know. Uh, Tony is in Florida. What do you think of the idea of a four-day workweek? Well, I, too, was a cop, and um, we had chiefs that were constantly changing us from 12-hour days, so we had two days on and two days off, and I hated those because on your first day off, you were so exhausted from working 24 hours in two days that you did a lot of sleeping, and so you really kind of only got one day off, but the 10-hour work shift, we could pick out whichever days off we wanted. And most people want it weekends, but I liked weekdays off because you could get stuff done. You could after appointments, right. go shopping, you do whatever you want. So I really liked the 10-hour work week when I could pick the days off that I wanted, which was during the week. Well, do you think this would work if it were implemented in broader society, the idea of a transition to a four-day work week? If it's the kind of business where they don't have to, like, be open five days a week, like say a doctor's office or something. If it's a business that uh, can get their work done in four days, they save money on electricity if they close Friday, all kinds of things they're going to save money on. Um, when we're working the 10 hour days, you save money from the gasoline driving that extra day, uh, whatever you got to pay for lunch. If you have any tolls you need to pay, so you save money too, and so does the company. Yeah, I mean that's what 
That's what the defenders of this practice are saying, that it saves a lot of these companies' overhead. 800-848-9222. Frankie in Highlands, what do you think? Yeah, you know, um, the five-day week is eight hours um, eight hours uh, work, eight hours uh, sleep, and eight hours of your own time. And, uh, and it's very fair. And then the weekend, two days a week, I mean, you're only working uh, 188 days a year, and then you add, like, vacations, you add uh, holidays and everything else. So I think it, it is very human five days a week, nine to five. But I see in the future where it's three and three, where they're full-time jobs, three days a week for two different individuals, the same job, so that more people work because of the population that we're uh, that we're gaining, and um, that's that's my opinion. Uh, thank you, Frankie. Joaquin is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Joaquin. Hey, Frank. All right, actually, all right. I got a perspective on this. I'm a guy, and uh, my wife stayed home with the kids. We had four kids. And I used to work around the clock. I had two full-time jobs doing garbage and demolition. I've been a truck driver where I used to stay awake for days at a time until I was hallucinating. So what I'm going to say is this. For a blue-collar guy, I think the best schedule is to work two days and have a day off in the middle and then work two more days and have your weekend uh, because then your productivity is up because your, your body, mm. towards the middle of the week, you start to really drag, you know, and so your last couple of days of the week are just hell. But if you had a day to recuperate in the middle of the week, it would make life a whole hell of a lot better. Well, that makes sense, actually, Joaquin. I, I buy that. So do you think this idea of a four-day work week is something that could take off? Yes, without a doubt. I mean, look, at most of my jobs I've worked, I, I, Frank, I, 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 like I said, I've worked around the clock. And as a truck driver now with the hours or whatever, you still can be forced to work 14 hours a day, Okay. So to have a day off in the middle of this, and I, I like what I do, you know, but I get really tired. I mean, I'm an old guy. I'm in my 60s, you know, and I got all kinds of problems. But, yes, a day to recharge in the middle of the week would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I could see that, thought. you know, Joaquin. I, I think, yeah, actually, that's a, a pretty fair point. Uh, well said, uh, Joaquin. Thank you. And we're going to talk with Michael Traeger about gambling coming up in just a minute. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Nick is in Minnesota listening on WCCO. Nick, what do you think about all this? I don't think it should be a one-size-fits-all situation because first of all i'm blind you know in other words i can't see so imagine if i had some medical issues where i had to go to urgent care and they said oh sorry we're not open uh you know and it's like okay how am i going to get you know my medical needs <laughs> well I mean, no obviously there are some entities police hospitals, I would add radio probably, fire department that mm -hmm. need to be open seven days a week. I, I guess maybe yeah. the idea would be the staff would be staggered. Rather than work five days, they would work four, and that would affect their rotation somehow. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. I hope you do another open line show again, because if you do, I'd like to talk to you about disability rights sometime well let's do that nick we'll we'll plan on it soon Th spread the word out there All for right. uh for us in minnesota we're new to the market so we need your help thank you nick appreciate thank it. you 800-848-9222 uh joe is in the queens hello joe 
Yeah, Frank, uh, the, look at the David Knight show uh, today, uh, UK, they're going after journalists in the UK, uh, David Knight show podcast. But on this, I, I'd say if you had a staff, a big corporation, you could go, uh, a group of people would do Monday through Thursday, another group would do Tuesday through Friday. And because time is a huge commodity for people that they want, it is a pretty good recruitment thing, a four-day fall and retention for employees. Another thing is I think uh, people can kind of rest their head, and that could be something. Resting your head could be doing something. It could be an intense study program, and then people are taking courses, and they need time for courses as well. You know, it's interesting. In radio, years ago, the standard among both DJs and talk show hosts was to work six days a week. Every major morning show host in every major market would work six days a week, and then gradually the the thing became five days a week. And uh, I wonder if, um, I don't know, I wonder if we'll get to a point where it'll be four days a week. Some people that are sort of half-retired already do the four-day-a-week a, a thing. I remember when Bill Bennett was on the radio, he was only doing four days a week. I think Howard Stern may even just do three days a week. It's, he's certainly uh, not doing five. So, I mean, uh, I guess, you know, uh, the common... Yeah, yeah Frank... Yeah, I think people are overall more incentivized if they it's in some cases like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, if a person has more things they're into, their overall sense of being uh, rewarded and incentivized towards a reward could increase because there's other rewards besides money. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. Absolutely. I, to me. Time is much more valuable than money. You know, I, I go back and think about when before I had a child, when I thought I had no time, and then I think, who was that guy? What was I spending all my time doing? <laughs> I said what I wouldn't give to trade places with him for two days and be able to catch up on some things. All right. Uh, we're going to talk gambling and why it was such a record year for casinos all over the country. With Michael Traeger, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living the devil may care, and I'm just a devil with love to spare. So, Viva Las Vegas, 
Viva Las Vegas How I wish that there were more than 24 hours in the day Elvis Presley singing Viva Las Vegas. We are very proud to be heard every morning on K-Dawn in Las Vegas, one of the great radio stations in our country with a great history in Las Vegas. And there were some really interesting numbers regarding gambling, and I think this affects not only Las Vegas but the whole country. Namely, U.S. casinos won $66.5 billion last year. It was their best year ever, ever. As gamblers clearly showed no economic fear. Here to help us break this down is uh, one of my favorite people to talk gambling with, Michael Traeger. He is a luxury travel and casino gaming industry entrepreneur with TravelZork.com. Michael, it's great to talk to you. It's been too long. Yes, it's great to talk to you, too. How are you doing? Uh, Have you been to Atlantic City recently? Not since uh, December 31st, but I am uh, returning at the latest uh, in uh, April, I think April 13th for a bachelor party. I'm hoping to make a trip before then, but um, I think I only have $50 in my checking account, so I'm probably going to wait until that April 13th trip. Okay, that sounds that sounds like a plan. Right. But you know what, fifty fifty dollars in a dream, right? Exactly. Like maybe a dream about Baccarat, twenty six <laughs> in a row, twenty twenty six players in a row. I, I've had could- that dream. I've had that dream, and uh, uh, funny enough, reality never seems to uh, match up with that, Michael. All right. Hey, um, so what be, beyond the top line number that I just gave, sixty six and a half billion dollars, and the fact that this was supposedly the best year ever for casinos, what do the numbers say about gambling in America these days, and specifically last year? Yeah, uh, well, I think the most I think the most interesting thing is when we look outside of Nevada and we look at the the four highest performing properties. In, in the country outside of Nevada, which start with number one, which most people probably wouldn't guess, which is Resorts World New York City, which is the Genting property in Queens. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Resorts World in New York City is the number one performing property outside of Nevada? Yes. Wow. I never would have guessed that. Now, when you look at the numbers, they're all rather close. So outside of Nevada, they're... Their total revenue numbers were for 2023 900 million, which is a 20% increase year over year. That's followed by MGM National Harbor, which is 800 million, which is about a 15% increase. So we call that Washington, D.C. area. Then we have Encore Boston Harbor, which is 700 million. Uh, which is also a 15% year-over-year increase. What's so interesting, what's very interesting about certain markets is like Encore Boston Market, pretty much so is almost the totality of Massachusetts gaming, whereas Borgata Atlantic City, which is number four, though my figures show it's very, very, it's almost neck and neck with Encore Boston Harbor, so it's around that 700 million Hmm. uh, number. But the Atlantic City market is actually five point, you know, about five point seven five billion. So it's sort of interesting when you compare, pro, you know. So Encore is basically it for Massachusetts, you know, for Massachusetts gaming. But mm-hmm. when you look at now, when we break it down and we say Nevada, 
is the nation's top gambling market. That's about 15 and a half billion in revenue. But it's followed by, and this has been for quite a few years, and a lot of people don't realize this, Pennsylvania is number two, which is 5.86 billion. And then followed by Atlantic City, which is 5.77 billion. And then New York, which is 4.71, then Michigan and Ohio and Louisiana. So that's sort of, so it's really interesting to look at the top four properties outside of Nevada. And then when you look at the other markets, it's Pennsylvania, Atlantic City, New York, you know, are, are basically on top. So I think that's also super interesting. And of course, you know, one of our favorites, Borgata is on that list. I mean, they're all very close because for the top four properties outside of Nevada, you're between 900, 900, 800, 700 million. So they're all, they're, they're all, I would say, you know, relatively close. So uh, Michael, obviously you go to casinos all over the world, you travel all over the world and you, you get a sense of what's going on in a lot of these various places. Let's talk about the aggregate number, about about the $66.5 billion, this being the best year for casinos ever. Let me ask you the question that a lot of people are probably asking. Why? Is it a function of people having money to burn? Is it a function of uh, casinos being exceptionally lucky these days? Or is it a function of there being so many casinos these days? What has contributed to this being a record year for casinos taking in money? Well, Las Vegas Las Vegas claims that it's, it's basically continued, or Nevada, it's continued demand for gaming. At least that's what the gaming control board says and special events. And you could sort of understand that when you look at, especially when you look at the Las Vegas market because of F1, the lead up to Super Bowl, all the things like the Sphere and all of the residencies like U2 and also an uptick in conventions. So that sort of, that sort of makes, that sort of makes sense. When it comes to, when it comes to the other markets, I mean, I don't. I don't think anyone has an exact answer, and I and I think actually most of this is surprising most people, and I haven't seen many people be able to pin it on one thing other than the fact that there is extreme demand for gambling, and we always knew that when when you looked at the gambling figures from Atlantic City, which opened in 1979, and how Atlantic City, you know, revenues in Atlantic City for many, many years exceeded gaming revenues on the Las Vegas Strip when you only had two places you could gamble in the country, which was Atlantic City and and Las, you know, in the state of Nevada. So I I think this is I think this is to me, trend-wise, it looks the same, except now Atlantic City isn't the only game in town, mm-hmm. but you've got Boston. Atlantic City and Washington DC if you look at the you know at the look at the geographic areas and then while not the largest property you know not one of the top four properties outside of Nevada uh, not one of the top four properties Pennsylvania is the number two is the number two market so basically look at the look at the East Coast so that's 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 sort of interesting I can't necessarily answer it but to me it's you know, concentration of money and mm. interest in gambling, you know, more, even more so than anywhere else, more so than anywhere else in the country. 
You know, I mentioned my surprise that uh, the number one uh, number one gambling property outside of uh, outside of Nevada was Resorts World in uh, in Queens. What about these numbers, if anything, surprised you? Was it the East Coast factor that you just mentioned, or was there anything else that jumped out of you that made you raise your eyebrows and go, hmm? Well, the other the other thing that that you have to realize now too is that you know when you're looking at these these total revenue numbers, you're you're including sports betting, and you're including online gambling, and that's and that's changed the market quite a bit. So I think you. Even though the brick and mortar business is doing really, really well, you have a lot more than that. And sports betting has absolutely contributed to an increase in gambling. And maybe, you know, and maybe somebody in a couple of years from now, when they analyze 10 years worth of data, will say that the interest in sports betting has driven more interest in brick and mortar and other casino gambling. So that's sort of interesting because remember, the marketing all ties in together, right? right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, no. So, I mean, and I don't think I think, I, you know, I don't think anyone's really completely sure yet other than people really like to gamble and it's not taboo and people like to gamble. The other thing and we learned this from Atlantic City early on, people like to gamble close to home. <laughs> the speaking of that, one of the things that I found interesting, and I'm sure the legalization of digital mobile sports betting plays into this. The New York Daily News is reporting that New Yorkers are the most avid sports bettors in the nation. Now, understanding that a lot more people are going to be doing it now that it's legal in New York and now that you have the digital option to do it, it was still a little surprising to me that uh, New York was ahead of everywhere else. I mean, what is it about New York sports fans that they love to bet? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I you know, I think we're not, I, 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 I don't think anyone's really completely sure about this. Also, remember it's new. There's also the uh-huh, new factor. the novelty. Sure. So part of that, you know, part of part of the interesting thing about sports betting is when it comes into a new market, you know, a combination of the promotions and the combination of it being so easy to do. I mean, I think the other the other thing that's really interesting is that you've always traditionally had a lot of people, you know, you always had a lot of people who were betting sports illegally, but then you had those who who weren't willing to do that. And now all of a sudden that they have the option that that sort of adds to the market, too. So that's that's sort of interesting to to look at. Right. Because you're grabbing a portion of the market that was illegal sports betting and bringing sure. it into the legal market. And then you have the people who who wouldn't have done it before, but now it's legal and they can do it on an app and they feel, you know, they feel it's legit. So that's that's also that's also really, really interesting. We're talking with Michael- I mean sports betting is up twenty seven over twenty seven percent. From the prior year. And, and, you know, one of the things that we studied a great deal and talked about a great deal during football season is the record NFL ratings. I think there's absolutely a correlation between the legalization of sports betting and the uptick in NFL viewership because I find, I think now you're seeing a lot of people that may have money on the games watching games that they never would have had an interest in before. And uh, I think that's certainly playing a role. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Michael Traeger. He is a luxury. Uh, Luxury travel and casino gaming industry entrepreneur with TravelZork.com. TravelZork is a great website. There's uh, all sorts of tips on there, great articles. He's got a great podcast himself. Michael, uh, you mentioned a couple of the individual properties that did well. 
were there any companies that stood out as doing particularly well? There's some big gaming companies out there. Obviously, you have um, you know you have uh, companies like MGM, which are just global. Uh, you have uh, smaller companies that um, you know that are kind of making a name for themselves, like Bally's. What uh, what could we tell from the trend lines when it came to company wide, nationwide revenue numbers? All of the companies are reporting, you know, record, record years. Mm. And the most interesting thing to me about it is that even with the cyber attacks, that doesn't seem to have have impacted, you know, MGM as much as you thought it would have. But for for sure, Win has Win has had a absolutely phenomenal, massive record breaking, uh, especially the fourth uh fourth quarter so that's uh, you know absolutely incredible and everything about you know what's going on you know what's going on with win las vegas is incredible including their including their average daily hotel room rate which i i caught upon this figure from the uh, earnings call in february it just, was just this month that their the average daily room rate in the fourth quarter was 631 dollars Wow, in Las Vegas, which is twenty, it's a it was close to a thirty percent increase over twenty twenty two's average daily. You're kidding? Well, I am I am blown away by that number. I, obviously, Wynn has some beautiful properties, uh, but uh, I had no idea that that would be the average th- in this day and age. That is incredible. Hey, since last we spoke, I know you had a trip to uh, Atlantic City. W- where'd you play? How'd you do? First time I've stayed and played at uh, Hard Rock because a very good friend uh, hooked me up and convinced me to do it. And he actually got a private Baccarat table for us to play at, which I could play at whatever limit I wanted to because I don't regularly play at those kind of tables. And I was super impressed by Hard Rock Atlantic City. Did you win? I I actually won at Baccarat, but I didn't win it. Craps. Um, I, I was super impressed. The craps table minimums were were great. The property has amazing has amazing vibe. I loved the restaurants at Hard Rock. So I'm sort of so I'm still you know I've always been very very sweet on Borgata, but I I just love I love the, what they've done with the renovation there, and I've been meaning to stay at Hard Rock forever. So well, I, I think I might be going back there. I like Hard Rock a lot to stay one because it's so conveniently located on the boardwalk. It's near everything. I also like the restaurants, but you mentioned the craps. One of the things that I don't like at least at the tables that I've played out there, is they don't offer five times odds on all the numbers. And I really feel like I'm being kind of gypped. Well, I, I know uh, people don't like to use that term anymore. I feel like I'm being cheated when I, I can only play three or four times odds on some of the numbers. Well, that's, a, well, that's, the, that's definitely a Borgata thing because Atlantic City has always been five times. Right. Borgata... Borgata is uh, Borgata went with what what they do for MGM with the rest of the country, which is the three, four, five right. times. I, odds. I mean, I think it's absurd. At Bally's, I think they give you up to ten times odds, which uh, which is great, but it's also a way to lose money quickly. Um, well, well, the other the other question is, are you really taking the full five times? And that's it. Only impacts the people who are taking the five. I think it's foolish to begin with. I think all casinos should be five times or ten times. Oh, odds no doubt, because- no doubt, no doubt. But, but um, uh, I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience there. I love uh, Il Molino. That's my favorite restaurant over there. I, a, a listener wrote me uh, before you were coming on 
that he used to regularly in Las Vegas go to the Stardust and that uh, K-Dawn, a station in Vegas that we're being heard on now, they would do a live radio show from there every Sunday evening from the Stardust Sportsbook. Uh, can you give us a little history of the of the Stardust in Las Vegas and why that stands out as being so special in so many people's minds? Well... Rosenthal basically created, you know, created the sports book concept that you have today. That's one of the number one things that the Stardust is known for. Actually, two things that that I would say that come to mind that the Stardust was known for is the fact that the modern, basically what you envision as the modern sports book was pretty much so developed at Stardust. And the other thing is that Baccarat, was really great at Stardust, and the first female Baccarat dealer was mm. at Stardust, which was a, and I was able to catch her for the final years at the Stardust, and her name was uh, Shirley, and she was trained by Lefty Rosenthal at Stardust, and I always thought it was so interesting that she was the, the first female oh, Baccarat cool. dealer. That's cool. Yeah, if people and, don't know, uh, Lefty Rosenthal is the basis for the Robert De Niro character in the film Casino. Uh, that's That's wild. I can't imagine. That must have been a real treat. Well, you know he created his own you know, I'm, inter- I'm curious about the broadcast because, you know, he created his own show, mm-hmm. you know, the Lefty Rosenthal show at the Stardust uh, when and they, they talked a little bit about this in the movie. But when when basically the gaming, the gaming board was coming down on him and he wasn't able to have they made him like the entertainment director because his gaming license wasn't getting approved and then he you know he created this other entertainment show i mean you can find old videos about it it's it's pretty interesting it's uh, it certainly is hey um uh, michael i always enjoy speaking with you let's do this again soon Uh, hopefully your next trip out east will be able to cross paths I would love it. Yeah. And thank you for having me on. But this is definitely something I'm going to be paying attention to because I, I, I'm really curious, you know, what, you know, some of the underlying reasons more so than what we've mentioned, especially with uh, sports betting. But hey, maybe, maybe it's just people really love to gamble and they're not afraid to say it. And, and, <laughs> and, and they know, have we're the money, not afraid clearly. to show it anymore. Yeah. And they've got the money, I guess. All right. Hey, Michael, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Take care. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Beatles back in the USSR. 
Uh, it was on this day in 1980 that the miracle on ice took place in Lake Placid, New York, as the U.S. Olympic hockey team upset the Soviets 4-3. to And the U.S. team, of course, went on to win the gold medal. Very, very exciting. <clears throat> and uh, look at where we are today. Look at how American and Russian relations have improved. Or have they? By the way, did you see uh, President Biden, because of Alexei Navalny, is going to be instituting more sanctions on Russia? Because, of course, all the sanctions that we've already implemented have proven so effective in getting Russia to change their behavior that uh, I'm sure some more sanctions will do the trick. All right. Hey, um... When I was uh, I was on I was on Twitter yesterday, and a lot of people have taken issue with my policy of eating unlabeled food from the refrigerator. And uh, James, um, you know James Flippin, he basically tagged me in a in a tweet that he was putting a label on his food in the refrigerator with his name on it, and it says, "Don't get any ideas, Frank Moreno. I'm labeled and protected, which is great." Everybody should be labeling their food. This should not be a James Flippin thing. So anyway, I come in last night and I see there's a plate of something with tinfoil over it and then written on the tinfoil in black marker. I'll put I'll, uh, show this on my Instagram at Morano Vision. It says, other side of leftovers for Frank Morano. And then it has today's date. Now, I don't know who left these leftovers, but, you know, I'm a little distrustful of something that was labeled without my... Uh, and by the way, if you want to see that image, you can do so at Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision, but um, on Instagram. But I'm a little distrustful of something that was left for me by someone I don't know without any communication from them at all. So I didn't need any of it because I don't know what people have put in it. There is, however, a large tray of leftover fried rice that I did have a scoop of, which was decent, I must say. It was pretty good. Um, Tony, Matt, do you guys know anything about that that labeled food in the refrigerator? First of all, we always get shafted on the <laughs> night shift. We never get the food. Well, we get this fried rice out there rice. now. This that fried rice has been sitting out there since 1 p.m. It looks disgusting. It's crusty. I would never eat that. I can't believe you did eat that. And, yeah, somebody leaves you a plate. They don't leave me a place. I offered it to you guys. I said you guys could have it. I don't want something that was left for you specifically. We want our own. It's probably poison. It probably is, which is why I'm offering it to you guys. (laughs) Oh, so we're going to be the guinea pigs. Yeah, exactly. I want to see if you guys survive. And then if you do, then it'll be safe for the rest of us to to eat. So um, whoever left those leftovers for for me, uh, try to consider Tony and Matt Blaze next time. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to try any. It could be poison. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. So there is an irony that I feel comfortable eating unlabeled food, but not quite comfortable eating labeled food. I'm sure Freud would have a a field day with that one. All right. (laughs) Your influence counts, so use it.